Great. Uh, thanks um, to the other Martin too for your leading. I thought I'd, I'd check in with you this morning to see what the dress code was. I think we've we've managed. To <laughs> Um, if you read some, some commentaries on Ecclesiastes, a lot of them will tell you that what we've just read is the most depressing bit of the Bible. So, um, so there we go this, this morning. Um, as if you're a regular here, you'll know that at Grace Church, we, we like to go book by book, chapter by chapter, through, through God's word together. Tempting as it might be to just sort of pick the nice bits and just focus on those. We, as a church, want to be shaped by, by God's word together under, under uh, his authority. And so we find ourselves here in Ecclesiastes 9 this morning talking about matters of, of life and death. Um, huge things. And I'm conscious that for, for some of us here, the, the subject of death is one that is, is deeply painful. Whereas the world around us wants to desperately escape the reality of death, passages like this in God's word bring it front and centre for us. So as we consider some, some pretty big things this morning, there is hope, there is comfort for us, which we'll see as we go through this passage and let me say right at the start as well, we, one of the things, one of the, the courses that we run as a church is um, the bereavement journey, which is a course for, for anyone who's been bereaved, uh, no matter how recent or, or far away, who would like to spend some time talking with others about their experiences. Um, so if you think that, that that might be something that you or perhaps someone else that you know would find helpful, do come and chat to me um, afterwards. Uh, but before we go any further, let's, let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at his word together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the living God. Thank you that you are the God who speaks to us. Thank you that you know us and you love us more than we can possibly imagine. And we pray that as we look at your word now, you would... You would shape us by your word, by these truths about who you are, by these truths about what life is really like, and by these truths about the, the hope and the joy that can be ours through the Lord Jesus. So please, Lord, would you help us to understand your word? Would you help us by your spirit to, to, to believe it, to trust it, to, to live it? Please, Lord, would you comfort and encourage us by your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is beginning to wind up. He's, he's, he's drawing his conclusions. He's still got four chapters to go, but he's sort of round the corner. He's heard the bell, the finish line's in view. And he's, in chapter nine, returning to some familiar ground. And he's continuing with his, his desire to smash to pieces our idea that, that we can be like God. We want to have it all. We, we want to know it all. We want to do it all. We want to be happy forever. We want to be remembered forever. 
we want to have all the answers and never be left scratching our heads. But as this chapter shows us, what guarantee is there that we won't get run over by a bus tomorrow? And if we knew that was going to happen tomorrow, how would we live today? That's a question that gets right at the heart of, of this whole book of Ecclesiastes. How do we live now in the light of the end? How do we live well? How do we die well uh, with the end in view? So this morning, we're going to consider some of the hammers that he uses to smash our illusions that we are the ones who are in control of our lives. And the first one is this, and from verses one to six, the one certainty in life is that death will find us all. The one certainty in life is that death will find us all. Let's have a look at verses one and two. So I reflected on all this. And concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean. Those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. So the preacher's returning to this familiar theme of the absolute certainty of death. And he's wrestling with the fact that death comes to all, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, good, bad, righteous, wicked, believer, unbeliever, truth speaker, deceiver, all of us will one day die. And none of us know whether love or hate lie ahead, whether good or, or, or evil in that. But have a look how he describes this reality of the certainty of, of death coming for us indiscriminately in verse three. Verse three, the first few words of verse three, he says, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. When he speaks of evil in everything that happens under the sun, he's not just saying that, that death itself is evil. But, but absolutely, it, it is. He's saying here in chapter nine that the way death does its work is evil too. Because where's the justice in the way that the good and the bad are, are both taken? It, it doesn't make sense to us. How, how, how can it be fair that, that a young person is cut down in their prime? We, we can't understand it. <coughs> Under the sun. The preacher says, this is an evil and it doesn't make sense to us. Now, notice he's not saying there is no sense at all in it. But he's saying to us under the sun here and now, it doesn't make sense to us. But as we see in verse one, it is in the hand of God. And earlier in, in chapter three, talking of God's sovereignty over time and everything. Chapter three, verse 11, the preacher says this, he has made, this is the, our sovereign God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. 
yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So in chapter three, that great chapter of time and seasons and God's sovereign control over it all, the preacher shows us that God is the one who sees the bigger picture that we cannot see. We long to see that, that bigger picture. But as that verse in, in, in chapter three says, we're, we're just not built to be able to see that bigger picture. And so for us, in, in the end, death makes no sense. Verses four and six, four to six. He says, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. A stark words, isn't it? And a stark illustration. A live dog is better than a dead lion. Especially when you think of culturally at that time, dogs would have been seen as the lowest of the low in the ancient Near East culture. And lions would have been seen as regal, majestic and heroic. But the point, the simple point he's making is that life is better than death. Life brings opportunity to reflect to get perspective whereas with death a time is coming where all the things that you care about most will vanish and be forgotten sooner or later death will leave you utterly perplexed and broken it may be that so far in, in this life You've not experienced that, that feeling that, that sometimes life just doesn't make sense. Well, the preacher's got a bitter pill for us to swallow. One day, death will come along and prove it to us. Now, you and I, we, we live in a culture that lives as if the one thing that is certain, it's not really going to happen to us. But as um, Adam told us a, a few weeks ago, our culture seeks to ignore and downplay and, and escape from the cold, harsh reality of death. A writer, David Gibson, in his book, uh, Living Life Backward on Ecclesiastes, puts it like this. We tend to live as if the one thing that is certain will never come while the many things that are uncertain are certain. And in verses 11 to 12, that's exactly what we see the preacher go on to show us. Have a look at uh, verses 11 and 12. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Now, nine out of ten times, the strongest, the quickest, the best win. But sometimes the fluky goal in injury time wins the game. Majority of time... The intelligent are successful, but sometimes the genius tanks the pound and crashes the economy. <laughs> Too soon. 
We might like to think that we can predict the future or, or even control it. But ultimately, the preacher tells us we are fooling ourselves. We're just like fish happily swimming along downstream. No idea of the net looming over us about to grab us. We're just like a bird just happily stumbling along into a snare. We like to think that we are the ones who are in control, that we are the ones who are masters of our destiny. But who are we kidding? The preacher tells us. The one certainty in life is death. And the uncertain thing about it is when it will come for us. So the question is, how are we to live in the light of, of those truths? Well, we see the preacher's answers in verses 7 to 10. Go, eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. It's striking, isn't it? Perhaps not like what we might expect. Go, he says. Seize the day. Eat and drink with gladness and joy. Why? Because God has already approved what you do. These good things are, are a good gift from him for us to enjoy. But more than that, he delights in your delight. He takes pleasure in your pleasure. This idea of enjoying God's gift is something that has come up a few times through the book as, as, as we've gone through. It's there in chapter 3, verse 13. It's there in chapter 6, verse 19. And it comes here in the context of recognizing that we are not in control. God is. We are not God. God is. And as we've seen already in Ecclesiastes, we are to fear him. And we've seen how, how that is to, to, to understand and to see the truth of what God is really like alongside the truth of what we are really like. And there is something tremendously liberating about these truths. And instead of spending our lives desperately seeking to gain and grasp satisfaction and meaning from things that are not designed to provide them. One writer said that doing that is, is like playing football with a watermelon. It's just going to end in disaster. Because that is not what a watermelon is for. The way of wisdom is to recognize in the light of reality and the certainty of our death that we are not in control. And that actually that is a good thing. Our life comes as a gift from God's hands. We have it for a short while, but one day God calls time and takes it back. So go, enjoy life today because tomorrow might be gone. Enjoy the gifts that God has given you, he says. And in verse eight, be, be clothed in white, put oil in your hair. So not go down the route of sackcloth and ashes and 
grief and sorrow, but clothes that show joy and happiness and, and, and health. Enjoy life with your wife, he says. Not put up with your wife. Not tolerate your wife. Enjoy life with your spouse. Again, David Gibson very helpfully says that, and very challengingly says, if, if you're too busy to enjoy life with your spouse, then you are too busy. I wonder if that's something that you and I, we, we need to hear this morning. Are you enjoying life with your spouse? Or are you just taking from each other to pursue other goals? Let me challenge you. Here and now, what, what can you do this week to cherish and protect the person that God has, has given you in your life? Well, verse 10, the kind of summary of, of how we're to respond to these truths of God's sovereignty, the certainty of death, said in, in the light of this, the brevity of life, we are to live our lives wholeheartedly. We are to throw ourselves into what the Lord gives us to do. So again, it's challenging stuff, isn't it? How does that, how does the way you're approaching life match up to what the preacher is, is telling us to go and, and do? There's lots to think about, isn't there? But I... I wonder if, 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 like me, as you've been reading through this book of Ecclesiastes, I've been left with, with, with a longing for, for heaven. A longing that, that the preacher in Ecclesiastes can't quite fully articulate and, and put his finger on or, or, or point to. Pain, sorrow, suffering, death. These things dislodge us from, from getting security here and now under the sun. They, they cause us to long for a day when there will be no more crying or pain or death, when the old order of things will have passed away. But actually, as I've reflected this week, it, it's not just the pain and suffering of this world that points us to long for heaven. The joys, the good gifts that we are given also point to heaven as well. The best of what we experience here and now under the sun are a foretaste of the glory and joy in heaven that awaits us. For the Christian, it's, it's not a funeral that awaits us at the end of time, but, but a wedding feast. And Christian, here this morning, the glory of heaven is not some sort of pie-in-the-sky, wishy-washy kind of a hope. It is a certain hope. It is an anchor for, for the soul. And it is certain because it does not depend on us and, and what we do or don't do. Or It is certain because it depends on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. <coughs> Now, a passage that's often read at funerals is, is John chapter 11. And in John 11, it's so revealing what we see 
about the Lord Jesus in that chapter. When he was confronted with the death of his friend and the pain and sorrow of, of those he loved, he was profoundly, deeply moved. Actually, the word used is, is, a, is, a, is a hugely strong word that kind of deeply moved. It speaks of it, not just emotional sorrow, but anger in the Lord Jesus as, as he, he went to Lazarus's tomb. The sorrow and the anger that he felt at the evil of death and the way it works and, and just the brokenness of this world, that this is not how it's supposed to be. All of that deeply moved Jesus, even though he knew what he was about to do. He was about to call Lazarus out of that tomb. He knew that was coming. But even then, in the, in the face of death and the sorrow and the brokenness, he weeps. He's profoundly moved. And he says to those sisters, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Extraordinary words to say, aren't they? And as he said these words, he would have known only too well that the only way this was going to be possible was through him giving his life for us. The preacher in Ecclesiastes urges us to realize that we are not in control. We are not God. And Jesus Christ urges us to come to him who is the resurrection and the life. To come to him and find life. Eternal life. So let me ask you as we, as, as we finish up, have you done that? If you want to chat through any of these things um, afterwards, then please do come talk to me, talk to Martin, talk to Sam, and talk to the person sat next to you. But do think on, on these things. I'm going to finish up reading uh, uh, perhaps one of the most famous psalms, a psalm of David, as, as we pray. David says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our shepherd. And that is amazing news. Thank you that you are with us on the darkest of paths, even through the valley of the shadow of death. That is the path that you have gone through first and smashed through the other side. Thank you for the glorious hope of heaven that we have. Thank you that if we're trusting in you, we will dwell in your house forever. Thank you for these amazing truths. And we pray, Father, that you would comfort us amidst the, the, just the difficulties and suffering and unanswered questions and grief and sorrow that we go through in this life. Would you comfort us? Would you give us hope? Would you bring us through? In Jesus' name, amen.